You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we are very honoured to welcome to our show Marcus Zubia. Marcus is the Director of Development for the Esperanza Shelter, who served as board president and who was a client of Esperanza at the age of seven. Marcus, welcome. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. Thank you. So tell us, to start with, what is the Esperanza Shelter? Why did it start? And what does it do? What services does it offer? Yeah, so Esperanza Shelter is in its 45th year uh, serving the um, Santa Fe County and the eight northern pueblos. We are a domestic violence agency um, that uh, provides emergency shelter. We provide counseling services. We provide um, a children's program through our Seeds of Hope program. We also work with offenders of domestic violence through our Path to Peace program. Um, and we, uh, in our emergency shelter, we actually house people who have left a domestic violence situation um, that will live on, in our emergency shelter. Um, and then, of course, we have our non-residential program where if uh, people can live safely in the community but still need the services of Esperanza. You said emergency shelter for Santa Fe County. Correct. Does that mean you're the only emergency shelter in Santa Fe County? That is correct. We are. Why Why is that? That's quite shocking to me. Yeah. You know, it's quite shocking to me as well because uh, domestic violence is, uh, is prevalent. You know, in Santa Fe County, they say that if you have a room full of people and you count one, two, three, chances are that third person is experiencing some sort of domestic abuse. Um, and domestic abuse can be, you know, physical, it can be mental, it can be financial, it can be elder abuse, it can be um, sexual abuse. Um, so there are many facets to um, abuse, but we are the only domestic violence agency uh, for the county, and uh, we have been for the last 45 years. Which makes your work, I think, all the more extraordinary. I mean, obviously necessary if you're saying a third of people who we might count locally, are likely to have experienced some form of domestic violence. That's so shocking. I don't want to, I don't want to not right. stop on that for a moment. Yeah. What does that mean for us? Um, I mean, you, you explained physical violence, mental violence, financial violence, elder abuse, sexual abuse. When people think of domestic violence, they usually think of the physical violence. Can you explain more about what are these other forms? How, do, how does violence manifest itself, domestic violence manifest itself in our society today, including in our, in our town and in our county? Yeah, well, that's a great question, Rabbi. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I can um, you know, really speak to about that is what we have found is that domestic violence is a cycle. And um, what, what we see is that most of our clients have experienced it throughout their lives, including our um, offenders, again, through our Path to Peace program, um, who come to us uh, because they are court-ordered uh, for a 52-week session with Esperanza. Um, 
and and then of course our our uh, victims of domestic abuse have experienced domestic violence of some sort as a child. You know whether they've seen it, they've witnessed it, they've experienced it, where where you know they were they were potentially physically abused or sexually abused, and, and some of the other examples that we talked about. And so for us, it really is about breaking that cycle breaking the cycle of abuse. Um, Because on average, it takes a a woman in particular eight times before she'll leave um, the situation that she's in. So meaning she'll return eight times before she has finally made the decision to, to leave for good. And a lot of that can be because um, their, you know, her, the, the offender may have threatened them in some way of, you know, never being able to see their children again, mm-hmm. um, portraying them as, you know, a drug addict or or, sub, or some sort of substance abuse addict, um, you know, isolating them from their friends and their family. And so a lot of them stay because I think as a society, we have made domestic violence normal in a way that we don't talk about it. And people, um, you know, turn their heads and, and it's, it is a deep, dark, um, you know, s- secret that is a reality in essence that people don't talk about. Why do we not? Because I clearly – having you on the show demonstrates I, – I, I find this shocking mm-hmm. and I think we should all find this shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why did we turn this into the open secret? What's underlying our society in which we seem to have tolerated domestic violence? You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, as, as a survivor, I consider myself as a survivor because I actually lived in the shelter of Esperanza when I was seven. My mother and I, um, you know, arrived one rainy evening um, with the clothes on our backs, and that's all that we had, and my mom had had enough. And we walked into Esperanza, and, you know, we got the services, we got the help that we needed. And for a long time, I never talked about my story mm. because I was ashamed. And I think that most of of the clients that we see, there is that shamefulness of people judging them because they were in the situation. And there's so many people in our society that question, well, why doesn't she just leave? Right. So almost blaming the victim. Exactly. If you've tolerated it for this long, then it can't be that bad kind of mindset. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of it, um, what what we really try to incorporate is a more trauma-informed approach because we are working with the brain, right? There's Mm. a psychological aspect to not only the physical abuse, but the emotional abuse that that they've experienced and that normalization in in their brain or their mentality um, about you know, there, there's this is while well, my mom went through this, or my grand, you know, my grandmother, or my brother, whoever went through this, and it has become that normal activity. And and so a lot of a lot of what we see is that th- the way that we are helping our clients is really more from a psychological perspective, mm-hmm. and and really opening their eyes to showing that this is not normal behavior, this is not okay behavior, and these are not healthy relationships. Is there a sense of not wanting to embarrass a a relative whom we feel love duty towards um, and we don't want to talk about it because then that would bring them down? Is there is there partly that sort of reputation almost that keeps it hidden as well? Yeah, yeah, there there is, and and just again being ashamed, you know. You again going back to my stories, I never wanted anybody to know that. You know, in my career, I was prospering. I was, you know, in banking, I was a banker for 15 years. I was a vice president and um, I had worked hard on establishing my reputation, but I never wanted anybody to know that, you know, my father was abusive and I got the services from Esperanza until one day, 
you know, and I think for most survivors, there's that one day when you finally feel empowered to speak up and to say something, um, which, I mean, the rest is history for me, which is why I got involved with Esperanza. I told my story, and I have so many people in the community that come up all the time and say that my story helped save their life or that they hope that their child or children grow up to be just like me um, because I spoke about it. And so, you know, that's also the normalization mm. that we need to make normal in our society is that there is life after a domestic violence situation and that you can prosper, you can, you know, accomplish things that maybe your abuser said you would never be able to do. And part of that normalization seems to be, from what you're saying, n- moving the normalization from the the quiet acceptance to the open mm-hmm. realization and dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do with that fact, it seems like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and again, I mean, y- the, the amount of people that have come up to, to me and, and to so many of our survivors that have spoken out about their story um, is remarkable because you know, we are saving lives by speaking about it. And we are making it normal that it is okay to get the services and get the help that you need to get out of that situation that you may be in. You you shared a shocking statistic that that on average, I think you said a woman will experience it eight times before deciding to leave. That is correct. Which is, again, this is so shocking. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe it's shocking for me because I'm not in that situation. And I I appreciate my privilege here. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that sometimes the the partner might threaten the kids, might um, accuse them of being an addict or something like that. Is there also an element of control, controlling finances, for example? I own the home. Mm-hmm. I own the bank account. Mm-hmm. I will – if you do this, you will have nothing. In which case, what what can somebody who's in a situation like that, what can they do? Because they they must surely be feeling like they have no independent autonomy. They can't do anything with their lives because if they step away – they're stepping away from everything. They're stepping away from the home, the car, the phone, the, the family. That, fe- that, that shift is so huge. What do you say to someone who's considering that shift but not sure what to do? Yeah, you know, one of, one of the things that we try to do for all of our clients or people that are just calling in to get information is we safety plan with them. And we let them know, you know, if they leave, here's, how, here's a safe way to do that. You know, which is really, I mean, ensuring that they get vital documents like their, you know, birth certificates, their driver's license, marriage certificates, things of that nature, um, and and let them know that we will be with them every step of the way, whether it is that they need emergency shelter to to stay in, you know, and, and house, and it is in the confidential location, and that you know their um, their their abuser will not know where they're at. Um, or, or that, you know, we can help them safely get back to another country where they came from or get back to another state that their family may live in. And, and you know, I think that what we really try to do is ensure that the clients feel safe, that they feel safe, that they don't have to go back and that we will help them with whatever it is that they need. If it, you know, if all they can come out with is their clothes on their back, that we will support them and help them find, you know, other clothes that will provide them with gift certificates, things like that to, to Walmart, to, um, to Savers, to, to those sorts of stores in town that we can help get them the, the items that they need, that their children will be safe, that will ensure that they get right. to school, that will work with the school system, um, things, things of that nature. Because a lot of it, I mean, what, what we see is that most of our clients do not want to leave because they fear for their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. also fear for the lives of their children. Right. 
And so they just put up with it and tolerate it for as long as they possibly can. And I assume even if they can't get those documents that mm -hmm. you're saying, the important documents, mm -hmm. you can even help with that. That is correct. Yeah. So through, through our, um, our uh, legal advocacy program, um, which is part of our non-residential program, um, we are able to – we have a legal advocate that does work with them on, you know, filing orders of protection, um, filing uh, divorce decrees, you know, possibly working with um, immigration to, mm -hmm. to get – you know, a lot of times what we're seeing is that people from immigrant descent – um, have received their their citizenship, a lot of times their abuser will destroy those documents or they will not release them and then it affects you know their 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 ability to find work to to um, prove that they are a citizen and so we we work with other organizations um, you know through New Mexico Legal Aid and, and Somos Un Pueblos Unido, those sorts of organizations to help them get the the resources and the legal paperwork that they need to get done before we take a break. If anyone is listening who this has resonated for and you want them to be in touch confidentially, what's the best way for them to contact Esperanza? So the best way is through our crisis line, um, uh, which is open 24-7, and that number is 505-474-5220. Again, that number is 505-474-5220, and that's our 24-7 crisis line where they can call and just speak to a live person and, again, safety plan or, or figure out a way to escape any sort of situation that they're in. We're talking about domestic violence on Soul Searching on KSFR. My guest for this evening, Marcus Zubia, the Director of Development for the Esperanza Shelter, and we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Marcus Zubia, the uh, Director of Development for the Esperanza Shelter. And you've been sharing some extraordinary work that you do in protecting those from domestic violence. I hear in the first half, I hear a lot of what you're talking about sounds like control and sounds like, and this may be my projection, sounds like male control. Um, are we talking about a male control violence issue? Is this a gendered thing? Is it universal? What are we What are we looking at here? What's the What's the core issue? When you say, for example, that you that people can come to your emergency shelter, which is at a confidential location, that's because of the fear that somebody, an abuser, will turn up. I assume and engage in acts of violence or try to wrest control. What's going on in our larger society? Is this a gendered thing? Is this a universal thing? What, what's happening here? You know, um, most of our clients are women. You know, 90, 98% of our clients are women. Um, but, you know, we are seeing a lot of the LGBTQ community. Um, we are seeing um, – occasionally we'll see straight men in, in, um, in our shelter – um, but for the most part, I mean, yeah, as a society, you know, it is a normal, again, activity that men are, are the abusers, you know, and, and so 98% of our clients are typically women. I'm a man. Mm -hmm. What do I do to help break the cycle of male violence in society? 
You know, I think it goes down to as a, as a male, you know, we're we're taught that we have to be masculine and we're taught to to be a certain way and you know not show any sort show any sort of emotion or um, any any anything that would make us less of a man, right? And so, one of the things that we really try to do is we challenge men around us that um, you know with with standing up against domestic violence with allowing us to come on radio shows like this, allowing us to maybe, you know, plan some sort of male, you know, retreat of some sort. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's it's getting a hundred men that come together that stand against domestic violence and help raise money or awareness. Um, even getting involved. One of the, the the challenges that we face as an agency is finding more men who want to be involved in a domestic violence organization. Mm. You know, uh, for the longest time when I was on the board, I was the only male um, uh, on the board. And now we have a great balance of men and women on our board. The same thing with our volunteers is that we see more women wanting to volunteer than we do men. And so really just trying to make it um, okay as as a male to be involved with an organization like Esperanza. Obviously, we've been going through this terrible pandemic. What are some of the challenges that Esperanza and your clients have faced during this pandemic? You know, domestic violence clients um, really suffered throughout the pandemic because most of most of what we're talking about, about, you know, the safety planning, about get, having them escape and come to the emergency shelter was was not possible because we were in lockdown. Mm. And, and so it was harder for somebody to escape a situation like that because um, you know, they, the, their offender was with them 24-7. Same, same places like where children go to school and we rely on school administrators to report any sort of, you know, evidence of abuse or, or things like that. That wasn't happening because everything was done via, you know, Zoom or, or an electronic platform. Um, we have a story, um, if you wouldn't mind, Please. you know, me sharing, Rabbi Neil, that, you know, we had a client that um, tried to escape a dangerous situation um, and her abuser would actually padlock her and her children on the property during the pandemic. And we had to um, work closely with um, authorities as well as, you know, the client to safety plan an escape to get them out of that situation. Um you know, we saw we saw less people calling our crisis line and more people needing to come into shelter oh. because it was harder for them to communicate with us because, again, the abuser was in the room with them. Or, you know, um, I man as part of my role as a director of development, I manage all of our social media pages, and we were seeing more people reaching out through social media as well. And so, um, you know, we we really tried to do as much as we could electronically. Um, during the pandemic, we moved all of our clients out of our emergency shelter mm. because um, the emergency shelter is similar to a compound. And so what that is is um, we could house up to 30, uh, 32 people in the shelter, but they share the laundry room, the living room, the kitchen, and bathrooms. And, of course, during COVID, when we knew nothing about the virus, right. um, we had to react pretty quickly. And so a week after or a couple of days, actually, after the governor announced you know, that the state of New Mexico was going under lockdown, we quickly moved people into transitional housing and off-site locations where they were able to live basically in a room that had the the laundry, the kitchen, the bathroom, those sorts of things. Um, And then we moved all of our services electronically through a virtual platform, through HIPAA-compliant Zoom. Mm. Um, We had to get all of our staff cell phones um, because everybody was working remotely and so forth and the investment in technology that had to be done. And what that did for us, I mean, is that it really raised our expenses where, where it costed us $30,000 extra a, a month. Wow. To have all a of those. Month. A month. Yep. To, to, to have all of those 
mechanisms in place to continue to provide services. And fortunate enough is that we 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 didn't skip a beat in the sense that we continue to provide services. But again, in my role as the director of development and our executive director, we had to um, find ways to to fundraise. Um, because it costed the agency over half a million dollars more than than we were anticipating having to wow. to raise money for. So quite bluntly, mm-hmm. if somebody is hearing what you're talking about and thinking, I want to help, they mm-hmm. can help by volunteering, by getting in touch. But they can also help fund during this pandemic, which seems to be extending and yeah. continuing. The, the, your, your sharing your costs have gone up dramatically really have. in order to provide that kind of continued level of support. Therefore, we can also help Financially, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it's always funny, right? As a fundraiser, we say cash is key, and it really is. You know, I mean, the, the, you know, every single dollar, if it's a dollar, if it's five dollars, every single dollar that, that can be donated, um, to Esperanza, you know, really does make a difference because it is a challenge as most organizations and, and in particular most nonprofits have seen an increase in their expenses because of the pandemic. And right. and as you pointed out, the reality is, is that we're looking to see that this pandemic continues. And of course, it's going to mean that we continue to fundraise and that we need all the extra help that, that we can get. Um, you know, even something as simple as gift cards to Walmart, to Target, to, um, you know, even, uh, what is it, gas gift cards, Lyft gift cards, um, uh, even grocery gift cards, all make the world of a difference because, most of our clients have never been able to make choices for themselves in the sense that, right. you know, their abuser had said, you know, you can only wear these types of clothes. You can only buy this type of food, those sorts of things. And so for us to be able to hand over a gift card and empower our clients for the first time probably in a long time in their lives to be able to make those decisions on their own, it, it makes the world of a difference. It really does. So we're not just talking about saving life, although obviously we are clearly talking about saving life. Right. But we're also talking about breaking the cycle of violence mm-hmm. from some of the programs, supporting the kids uh, through your Seeds of Hope program. That's correct. Um, but also helping people set up their new lives. Correct. And helping people move beyond that cycle of violence. So, so really, when people are donating to Esperanza, they're not just donating for the immediate term, they're helping set up lives in the long term as well. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the other things that, that we try to do is we try to do a lot of community outreach, you know, coming on this radio show is what we consider outreach. Um, but also, even if there's opportunities, you know, listeners right now, if there's opportunities that, you know, they own a business or they work for an organization, and they want domestic violence 101 training, you know, what mm. are signs that you know, as a as an employer, we can look at uh, for our employees to ensure that they're safe, and and so we we do community outreach as well, where we have a presentation. Our our community outreach and education coordinator will will go to you know attend staff meetings via Zoom or in person right now. Hopefully, we can continue the in person, but um, again, we offer it through Zoom, and uh, you know, just learn the basics of domestic violence and how they could potentially save a life. October is. Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Esperanza is celebrating its 45th anniversary. In the last few minutes, how are you celebrating? How are you commemorating, honoring those things coming together? Yeah, so it's our Sapphire anniversary, which is also, uh, you know, a milestone for an organization like Esperanza. And for, we always have an annual meeting every year that that the public is is um, invited to attend. So we are having that. But we're also going to um, combine it with the celebration. And so um, just really stay tuned to our, you know, social media pages, our website. We have an, um, an e-newsletter called SOAR that people can sign up for to receive updates. 
Um, I don't have the date yet, but we are um, hoping um, and anticipating having uh, an actual celebration in person to celebrate, um, you know, Esperanza and the many lives that it's saved in our community. In my tradition, the Jewish tradition, there's a text that says, whoever saves a life saves a world. And I feel powerful. I feel like your organization, the Esperanza Shelter, has saved multiple worlds. Mm-hmm. And I hear of the some of the stories that you've shared, and I've met with some of the volunteers, and it it continues to stagger me mm-hmm. how dedicated you are to helping rescue people, yep. to helping, and also to help not just rescue those who are facing domestic violence, but rescue. Uh, offenders from themselves and from that cycle of pain and violence which you've been talking about because uh, very often violence is learned from parents and grandparents and 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 this this generational trauma that we pass until somebody eventually says stop that's terrible that's wrong Mm -hmm. you know look at what you're doing what are the final words for you you know if you want to share any thoughts or messages for either for people who who have heard this and thought, wait, is this me? Am I actually doing this when I didn't realize? Am I controlling? Am I limiting? Or any message for those who who are facing this? Any final words that you want to, to share to, to anyone? Well, you know, um, Esperanza means hope. Esperanza in Spanish means hope. And so we really try to provide that hope. And so for us to, you know, let anybody know that there is hope and, you know, we are here, um, you know, again, 24-7 um, to respond and, and, and know that we're here to take care of you and that we're here to help provide, you know, that, that second opportunity. And again, you know, to provide that hope. And so for us, that really is what it is all about, is that we have so many people that are so dedicated to our mission and, um, and who care so deeply about our clients. And, you know, at the end of the day, our goal is that we, you know, that that we're providing a, a safe community and hopefully free of domestic violence someday. But fortunately and unfortunately, we'll we'll still continue to be here because it is one of those subjects, and it's okay to talk about it, and it's okay to reach out for help, and that's what we're here for. You know, reach out to somebody that you trust and have that person contact us, or you know, have you know, reach out to law enforcement who works closely with Esperanza, and and know that again, Esperanza means hope, and that's what we're trying to provide is that hope. And maybe that hope that the one in three becomes one in four and eventually one in five exactly. and so on. I just want to add at the end, a lot of people, as you know, obviously, who um, are experiencing domestic violence often blame themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't have created this situation. I, what's the message for them that you want to share for them? You know, the, the message would be is that you're you're not alone, you know, because I, I that that is one of the things is that as as somebody who's being abused, they assume that they're the only ones that are experiencing that sort of behavior or that sort of relationship, and they continue to blame themselves, and it's not their fault. You know, again, it is a cycle, and um, and, and it goes for our abusers. And, and you know, they, they witnessed it as children, and they think that that's just a normal way to express, to express how they feel. And knowing that we're really you know, here again to provide that hope. And and all of our services are, are at no cost to all of our clients. And so knowing that you can reach out to us and you will not be turned away. Um, and, and that's what we're here for. And give us that number one last time. Yes. So our 24-7 crisis hotline is 
505-473-5200. Again, it's 505-473-5200. And it's a 24-7 crisis hotline that they'll always be able to speak to a live person. And if you're listening to the show uh, live on the radio, then do know that this has also turned into a podcast. If you're not able to write down that number now, you can look it up online or you can listen to this podcast at your leisure and you'll be able to get that number. Marcus Zubia, it's been absolutely wonderful having you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing the essential work of the Esperanza Shelter. Thank you for having me, Rabbi Neil. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, stay safe and keep searching. <laughs>